would take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Or if you have your phone and you're following on your device, that's perfectly awesome. I just want you to know that uh, I don't have any original thoughts. <laughs> that they come from the Bible. If they don't come from the Bible, they're not helpful to you because my life was a mess before uh, I found truth and I found Christ. And so that's why I say turn to your Bible, follow along in Scripture, is because God revealed truth to help us in our life. And um, so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We had been here, we took a break for Advent, last week we got back, so I'm going to give you a little context in the message today uh, to remind us of how we got to where we are. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses uh, 12 through 15 there and the bible says there now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is if anyone's work which he has built on it endures he will receive a reward If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Father, thank you for the Bible, and we pray that uh, you'll help us. God, thank you that you inspired this truth for us to know how to live, and I pray that you'll use your word in our lives now, and we pray that uh, you'll speak and help, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, if you've ever been through a building project, like one of the churches that I was a part of in the past, built two stages of construction, and uh, you find out very quickly that you have to get involved with local officials who uh, keep up with codes and ordinances, and as you build, there will, there will be inspections that happen along the way. And, uh, you know, here where we live on the coast, they require you to put uh, hurricane clips on the roof when you put uh, plywood down before you put down shingles and things like that. I had no idea until you get involved with the code inspector and you find out these are things they're going to come and look at before you go on to the next stage of uh, construction. In the Bible here, the analogy that it uses is that there is an inspector, someone who at the end of our life is going to look at it and give us a a test, an examination. And the uh, analogy that it uses here, uh, in Rome they had, uh, they borrowed sort of this idea of the judgment seat, the bema. It was called a place of examination. And the Bible says for those who follow Jesus and know Jesus, that at the end of our life we will go to the judgment seat. It's a figure, uh, an idea, a truth that we get in the Bible that at the end there is an examination. There's a test to examine the quality of the life that you lived as a disciple of Jesus. And the, the illustration would be like this. It would be as if a code inspector said, okay, build your house. I'm going to come by and set fire to it. Whatever is standing after fire happens, that is the, that's the worthy part of what you did. That's the illustration in this passage is that the Bible says there will be an examination. It will be as if fire were set to a building and anything that, that uh, stood at the end was what was worthy in, in the building. And 
what, what you come away with when you think very much about this passage is the idea that the Bible says about God that he is a consuming fire. The Bible says God is a consuming fire. And so to come into the presence of God has a purging and purifying effect. That's this illustration. When we're in the presence of God, God is a consuming fire. It's the I- illustration, the analogy the Bible uses. So when you draw near to God, it pur- his presence purges and purifies. And so thank God, as we've seen uh, in the past lessons from 1 Corinthians, the foundation that a person's life is built on is because of the kindness and grace of God. You remember what we saw uh, perhaps last week? The Bible says there's no foundation that anyone can lay than the one that's been laid, which is Christ. We start as a follower of Christ on this foundation of Jesus. And what it, it refers to is the grace and kindness and mercy of God that God met us where we were in our sin and our brokenness, and he brought to us forgiveness and, through Jesus. He's the foundation that anyone builds their life on. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 7, uh, talking about us, that anyone who hears these words of mine and does them, he says, I'll liken him to a wise man who dug down deep and found bedrock and built his house on that rock. And so when the storms and uh, winds, like later today, we're going to get gusty winds, they say, Bible says when the storms of life blew, that house stood because it was founded on a rock. We have this foundation. It's the central truth and part of our life that we build up a life from that foundation. But there's no foundation that anyone can lay other than Jesus. He is the bedrock. He's the the starting place for the, the life of a follower of him. But When you look at this passage, here's something that helps clarify the message of it a lot. You'll notice that four times in these uh, couple of verses that we're reading, the word work appears. Do you notice that when you look at the text? It says, if anyone's work uh, uh, stands, uh, look at verse number 12. Whoever builds, we're building up on a foundation. And it talks about the materials, we'll look at that. But look at verse 12, if each one's work This is what it's talking about, is your work, your life work, we might say. What your life, the substance of it, is really about. And that's what we're going to get into, your life work. It says uh, each one's work will be revealed, will become manifest. Uh, The the fire will test each one's what? What does it say? Work. Y'all aren't helping me. If anyone's what? Work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's what? Work is burned, he will suffer loss. It's talking about work, life work. Not just vocational, it's using this idea of works or work in the sense of everything that your life is about and involved with. So there are, there's some facets of this that we'll talk about. But the Bible here is saying at the end there is a test. It's as if it were a test by fire. It's examining your work. Is your work wood, hay, straw? If so, what's going to happen to wood, hay, and straw? At a test of fire. It's ashes. It's consumed. It's nothing. But what if it's silver? What if it's gold? What if it's precious stones? And it's put to a test of fire. Then it stands. But be clear that what it's talking about is the work in the life of a follower of Jesus. 
It's talking about your deeds. It's talking about your lifestyle, your commitments. So when we, we think about that, there is a test that's, that's ahead of us. But what, what I think we can see through this is just what, you know, the idea is that there's meaning in little things that you might think there are meaning in. That there's meaning, there's significance, it matters what you're doing. Whether it's at work, at home, it all matters. So when we think about what the passage is showing is how we find God in our deeds, in our works. First, we see that each one is choosing material to build on the foundation of Christ. Every person. This is about your choices. It's about your commitments and what you do and your waking hours and your priorities. So each person is choosing that material. Whether my, by my actions I've chosen wood or hay or straw, or by my actions have I chosen something precious and enduring that when everything is said and done, it will stand the test of fire. The context here that I was mentioning before is that in Corinth, that this was a group of people who came to faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul spent 18 months with them, training and discipling and helping but they were still people who were being saved and coming to Christ out of a, a pagan sort of lifestyle. No, they had no sense about God in, ac- in an accurate way until Paul came and described God in an accurate way to them. And, but then they still had trouble fleshing this out in relationships, in Christian community, in their jobs, you know, they were just like us. They still were having a struggle in trying to get this uh, to play out in their actual life and, and in their reality. And one of the things that we, had, we saw before, I'm just reminding you because it's been a little while since we were here in, in Corinthians, is that Paul says to them that I've heard that there is divisiveness in your congregation, that some of you say, I'm of Paul. Some of you say, I belong to the uh, Cephas or Peter party. And he's talking about human beings that these people had put their confidence in. He says, some of you say, I belong to Apollos. And some of you even say, I belong to the Christ party. The problem was that among them, there was a division. And God came to effect reconciliation among people. God came to bring peace between us and Christ and each other. And so the fact that they had divisiveness in their congregation and they had these parties, these cliques that say, I belong to this clique and I belong to that one, it kept them apart and that troubled Paul when he recognized it. He said, no, that's not, what God, that's not why Jesus shed his blood so that you could be angry or separated or indifferent to the needs of each other and not integrate your life into one another. He says, no, that's not what Christ is about. And so he corrects them about that. That's a problem, and it's in part of what we're looking at today. But he talks to them about the foundation. The foundation is Christ. Now you build up from that. And so each of us in our lives are choosing. And God is more concerned about, the most important thing is just exactly what Scott said. This is what God's purpose is for you and me, is to turn us into worshipers. That's what people rebel against God. We try to choose our own way and our own life, and God wants to turn us into worshipers. 
He wants to turn us into people who lay our lives down, who recognize that rebellion alienates and separates us from God. But when we surrender, we experience the life we've been created for. And Jesus Christ comes to manifest his life and become real to us so that others around us experience God through our life as worshipers and witnesses. And that's what uh, Christ came to effect in us. Not to glorify any human, but to glorify God through us in our worship. And so we think about our own lives. Each person is choosing and selecting and contributing something. Once your eyes open in the morning, you start a process daily of deciding what is it that I'm going to contribute to wherever it is, in my family, in my workplace. We're, we're making a decision about what we're bringing to the work site, as, you know, as it were. Am I bringing the wood, the hay, the straw? Is that what I brought with me to build with? So we're deciding each day. And the emphasis here is also on community because he, he's talking to a congregation. So when you think about your role, your life as part of a congregation, because God calls us into local church as an expression of our service and our witness, he's saying, what do you bring into community? What are you building up on, on this foundation of Christ? Is it wood, hay, straw? Is it silver, precious gold, precious stones? He says, those are the options, but that, what that's addressing is me, what I bring with me, who, how I am in conversation, how I am in connection with, with uh, the other people that God has called me to do life with, right? You're doing life with people all the time in all of the context of where you take your walking around person, you're doing life with people. And so he says, what, what are you building up as, as you go into the world that you're a part of? Do we view every part of our life as a calling? You know, that's what God intends. He intends for us to see every part of our life as a worshiping calling that we, we're uh, taking Christ with us. Or have we developed, you know, sometimes we develop a idea that we can section our life off into compartments kind of like you you know we've sectioned this off with this big piece of plastic so you know this uh, part that's in process over there you don't really see and sometimes we do life like that it's like okay this is my Sunday life and I'm going to put on my Sunday best and my Sunday face and come do this but I, I may be different everywhere else that's not God's purpose for us his purpose is wherever we go, God goes with us. And people know about us that we're people who came to represent God where we are. And I don't mean that in some way that's judgy or looking down on people because we can do that. But I mean in a sense that when we show up, people know that Jesus means something to us. They see Christ in our, in our life and the way that we are. So we're coming. We're trying to build what? The kingdom. That's what we're trying to build wherever we go. The foundation of Christ is Christ, and we're building his kingdom. And so the question we ask is, what I'm building durable? Is what I'm building durable? Will it stand up to a test of fire? Is our effort flimsy? Or is our effort, are we all in, in, in the kingdom? Biblical discipleship means that I think about my choices and commitments as having 
repercussions for people's eternity and my own uh, maturity, my decision-making, the commitments that I make, they're always wrapped up in this identity that I'm a worshiper, that God is first. I'm seeking the kingdom and, and his righteousness. So first, that's what we are. We think each person is choosing what material do I bring to build on the foundation of Christ? But the second truth that we're talking about here and seeing in this passage is that each one's work will be tested. Every believer in Christ. This is not talking about unbelievers. This is not talking about people who don't have a commitment to faith in Christ. It's talking about us, God's people. And it says all of us, our work is going to be tested one day. We're going to stand and give an account to God And this is not, you know, we've said over and over and over again that it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of works, even though we're talking about works. We're not talking about works as salvation. Salvation is in the cross of Jesus. Salvation is something that cannot be earned. It is not deserved. It is by grace that God mercifully gave his son to pay for the punishment of our our sin. What we're talking about here is not salvation. So when we talk about what's tested, it is your deeds. It's the life that you live, cradle to grave, choices you're making before uh, Christ, to be rewarded or not rewarded, commended or not commended. That's what it's talking about. So our work will be manifested in the day. That day is the judgment uh, seat of Christ. And, we, you know, it's always worth saying that there is a separate judgment that the Bible talks about, the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment that you, you read about in the book of Revelation, it says anyone's name not found written in the book of life was cast into fire, is separated from God, is alienated from God. So there is a judgment for the unbeliever. But God's purpose is that every human being would be saved and it says that in second peter 3 9 but god's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance it talks about the goodness and the kindness and the heart of god that loved us so much he gave his son so that we could come to god be reconciled and he calls us to come but we need to distinguish those two things this judgment where god says either we're in his family or we're not, that's the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is talking about our works as believers. So when he talks about this test, that's the test he has in mind. It's um, Our work will be tried by fire, it says, and purified to its, its essence. Our work will be purified to its essence. That's what fire does. It's assayed is the word a metallurgist would use. They superheat it. We talked about this, I think, in James, maybe. The metal is superheated. The dross comes up. It's purified. The uh, unworthy stuff is taken out. It's purified by intense heat, which is what heat and fire do. And then we'll know what manner it was. That's what the passage says. When the fire goes to the work, we know what manner it is. We know the soundness or the shabbiness of our life effort. That's what it's talking about. So the hidden reality underneath the outer appearance, when you put fire to it in this symbol that we have here, the analogy, 
it becomes obvious what, what was hidden underneath that. Was what appeared to be real or was it not? Well, this test will prove what's underneath, what the hidden reality is. This examination, the uh, soundness, the shabbiness. We'll, uh, you may remember when you're in school, I remember how much fear this struck into my heart, these six words, take, take out a sheet of paper. You know, that always struck fear in my heart. Why? Because it was revealing what was really going on. Did you crack that book or did you not? And the Bible says that we will stand before Jesus and there'll be this examination. Salvation excludes works. That's what I just said. But a worshiping life is concerned about works in the sense of our life work. So... The materials that you and I use should be costly. When you think about your life, worth, worthwhile things are costly, always. There's, there's no way around it. Anything that you get an outcome that's worthwhile, it costs you something to get that outcome. And so we're talking about worthwhile things. Character is costly, Character is costly because we have to deny ourselves. We have to make uh, this choice and not that choice. So it's costly to have good character. Sacrifice is costly. If I'm going to live a generous, sacrificial life, it's going to cost me. I mean, not really because we consider it in the big picture of what, it, what life means, what it means to know God and to serve God. I've already considered every, if I already considered everything his, it's not really costly, is it? Because it already belonged to him to start with. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So if it already belongs to him, it, you know, it, we don't experience it that way. We experience it as the natural and right way to think and to, and to live and to be. But generosity and kindness and those things seem costly because they reign in my, the worst part of myself. If I'm going to be kind to people, I have to rein in that part of myself that's not kind. It, it's costly. It, it, it costs me in discipline and thought and awareness. But the scripture says here that fire is an intense and searching. It's going to find out what's really there. It's going to find out what, what's underneath. Chicago, Illinois is called the second city. For this reason, because in 1871, there was a fire that stretched for 3.3 miles uh, from the city center, destroyed 17,000 uh, homes and businesses, displaced 100,000 people. It, it was in, intense and destroyed. Well, here's what we know. God is not about destroying uh, anything in us except for things like hypocrisy. He'll definitely want to obliterate that. Hypocrisy and pretense and the flames that the scripture talks about here are just going to take away the veneer. It's going to burn down to the essence and show you what was real and what was not real in the end. Which to me says, I want to be at the business of making sure that the stuff that's happening through my life is real. It's not uh, make-believe. It's not me putting on some outer appearance that doesn't answer to the reality that's inside as a worshiper and follower of Christ.
Does that make sense? Because I think that's what the Scripture's trying to say. That God's trying to put us to the test to show us what is real in us. And the real part of us is what's going to last at the, at the end. The third uh, truth in this passage is that each one's work can have kingdom significance. Each one's work can have kingdom uh, significance. The, the scripture says the fire is trying to find out what kind of work there is in your life and mine. Did your life have missionary purpose? You know, sometimes think, uh, people think that the pastor has a holy vocational calling, but they don't. But that's absurd in, in Scripture, to think that only the pastor has a holy vocational calling. No, your calling, your work, has a, a holy calling to it as well. I uh, like reading a guy named Pete Scazzaro. He's got several good messages on his podcast that talk about vocational holiness. And the idea that you're, when you leave here, you are going, like you've heard other people say, you're entering the mission field. If everything in the kingdom depended on, I don't know how many pastors there are in the world, but there aren't enough for the kingdom to be impacted through just that few people. That's not God's idea. His idea is that you're a missionary and you're a missionary and you're a missionary. All of us, we're taking Christ to the places that we go. And so whatever you do, you may not think it, it does, but it has kingdom significance dependent on you and what your message is and what your, your life is in the place that you go. You definitely don't have to be a pastor to have a vocational holiness in your calling. In fact, I would say, you know, being a pastor for almost 30 years working in ministry, Truth is, I work around Christians more than anybody else. You're much more likely to go and work around non-Christians than me. I mean, I try to be deliberate to have connections to people that don't know Christ. I'm not trying to live my life in some bubble, just, but it's just the reality of what vocational ministry is, is that most of the time you're around Christians. And so God is sending all of you and me into the world with the message of Jesus Christ in our life and in our, in our mouths and our words. So whatever your actual work is, it has kingdom importance. It's apparent in your actual, uh, or it should be apparent in our actual work that we belong to Jesus. I hope that wherever you are, that people know you belong to Jesus. I, was, um, I came to faith in Christ. I was working at a place called Modern Welding Company in Augusta. And I worked there for about five years as a welder and uh, fabricator. I've told this story before that um, my brother-in-law got me that job and I didn't know anything about being a, a, a metal fabricator. And they called me brother-in-law. That was my nickname. And it was, I've said it wasn't a compliment, okay? They called me brother-in-law because he helped me get this job and I didn't know anything about how to do it. But across time, I learned on the job how to do that, that job, and I, that's where I came to faith in Christ. So I left there on a Friday, not knowing Jesus. I came back on a Monday, having received Jesus as my Savior, and started to tell people that I worked with about the decision that I had made, the commitment to trust Christ as, as my Savior. And it created for me the accountability to live that kind of life with those people. Now, I have to say, I didn't do it perfectly, but it was my commitment. 
was for those people to know that I knew Jesus and to live like I belonged to him among them. And I think that's what God's call is for each of us, is to live like we belong to Jesus wherever we, wherever we are. So when we think about this, it's not just your vocational life. There's, the, there's all kinds of work that we're doing in the world. There's a the work of being a neighbor. You know, maybe um, you live in a big neighborhood like I do, you know, where you're all over each other. But being a good neighbor is, is part of God's kingdom work for you. You know, what we do in neighborhoods, it seems like, is we move in and we build privacy fences and we close our garage doors, you know, and leave each other alone. But the, the, what I pray all the time is that God would give me meaningful connections to the people that live around me. That I, he can use my life and my presence where I am. And, and I think that's, when we think about what our work is, there is that work of being a neighbor. There's the work of playing. You know, we don't think of playing as work, but really our recreation, the things that cross over and become for us the outlet. You know, I play tennis. I, want, I, I have to say I'm competitive and intense, you know, but... Wherever I go to play tennis, I want people to know I belong to Jesus. And, and so there's the work of play. There's the work of being a family member. And I, I'd say most of us would say, whew, that's hard work right there, you know, being a family member. Just living around people that know us better than anybody knows us. And that, that see us at our worst and our best, but... It's also the place that God wants to do his kingdom work among us in our family through all that hard stuff that we have to deal with, with our family members. So there's the work of being a family member, the work of being a citizen in a, in a uh, county, a country, the work of incidental interaction with people. Like I went to Lowe's yesterday and I was looking for something that nobody in Lowe's for a while knew where to tell me to find it, and I'm wandering around, you know, but it occurred to me at a point, man, it's really hard for people that work in places like that right now, and what do they need for me to go be a jerk to them because he can't find something, you know, no, nobody needs me to go be a jerk to them in their workplace, and and so it's situations like that where we can take the kingdom of God in practical ways and to incidental encounters with other people where we didn't even plan on seeing that person, but when, we, when they saw us, they, they experienced something unique through us. They experienced that we cared about something more than just viewing them as some, you know, somebody trying to help us with something, that they had value because they were created in the image of God. I'm not saying this is always easy or obvious, or, but it is definitely, I think, what this means when we think about what, it, what our work is. Uh, are we good representatives of God in these things, in our family, in our marriage, in our parenting, in uh, our church membership? You know, how am I? I'm a builder of the kingdom. Am I building up on this foundation, foundation of Christ in, in a way that at the end, what I did will endure? God will, he could put it to the test of fire. The fire will intensely search it out and yet, it still stands up because what the substance of it was, was good, was right. Honored the Lord. So then fourth in this passage, each one's work is rewarded, it says. Each one's work is going to be rewarded. 
So a writer who uh, talked about this passage observed that the reward for faithful service, he says, is the master's pleasure and his confidence, which leads to further entrusting of responsibility. I think that's good, you know, because we think about a reward as only being later. And I think there is that sense of this because this is a future judgment. But I think when we think about how God rewards, God rewards because he recognizes faithfulness. And he says, I see your faithfulness and I'm going to trust you with more opportunity. I'm going to broaden the opportunity for your life to matter because it's, I can tell you care. God sees and knows what's in our heart. And so he says that he, he rewards our, uh, the reward for faithful services, his pleasure and his confidence, which leads to a further entrusting of responsibility. So this not is only not talking about future stuff, but about present stuff, which I think is good to, uh, to focus on. It's rewarding. Think about the things that are rewards now. It's rewarding to see God's life formed in other people and in ourselves. That's rewarding. You know, it's a reward that we experience right now to see his life formed in us and others. It's rewarding to be the best version of yourself. You know, I know there are times in my life when I haven't been the best version of myself. Not the version of me that God made me to be. But it's rewarding when I can start to see the pieces sort of come together in a way that my obedience and, you know, my, my seriousness about following the Lord starts to make me into the human being that God had in mind when he, he created me distinctly, like he created you distinctly, uniquely. And that's rewarding to be the best version of yourself, the way that God meant you to be. It's rewarding uh, for us to experience answers to prayer. You know, one reason I think journaling is helpful, it is to me, is because I can look back and see, man, God was faithful. That's rewarding now. That's a reward I can experience right now is his faithfulness in answering our prayers. It's rewarding to have a good conscience. Isn't that a great reward? And I don't have to wait and die to go to heaven to have a good conscience. I can have a good conscience now, today. And it's about, what am I choosing? Wood, hay, straw, stubble, or silver, gold, precious stones. It's, it's rewarding to hear, eventually hear the master's well done. It's rewarding to experience joy that comes through uh, obedience. Joy, which, man, there's nothing better than that. To have joy in our life. I I have days where I'm like, this is such a good day. You know, to experience God's joy and to feel that and to know that it can be this way, you know, because of our love for the Lord and how it gets manifest in our life. Those are good days. And that's a reward, I think, that's, you know, in mind, in part. It's a reward to have a well-ordered life. I think about my pre-Christian life. It was anything but well-ordered. You know, I drive around, you know, to my shame with no insurance on my car, a lawbreaker. I mean, I know that's like not like as big a thing as, but for me, what I knew about myself is that my life was not well ordered. It was a mess and it was a mess because of me and my decision making. And I can't tell you how much peace there is to have Christ as 
the Lord of my life and to know that I can live a well-ordered life where I don't worry about stuff that I was doing that was like shooting myself in the foot. That's a good way to live life. I'm, I'm glad that that's how life is. It's rewarding to see people come to faith in Jesus and to see them experience transformation. I don't know, you know, when we think about future rewards, everything that that means, I don't know. But I know that it will be consistent with God's goodness, and I know it will be consistent with God's glory. So when you die and there are future rewards, I don't know what all that means. I just know that it will be mostly about the glory of God, because that's what everything is about, is the glory of God. And then here here also, lastly in this passage, each one will want a worthy epitaph. Each one will want a worthy epitaph. In other words, what do you want to have been true about you at the last? What do you want people to know about you? A writer named David Brooks talked about resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are like, I'm pretty good at uh, technology, you know. I've got this skill, that skill. But those aren't things that people talk about when you die, are they? When you die and someone gives a eulogy about your life, the things that we want to talk about is he was an incredible friend. She was incredibly loyal. She was incredibly generous. She was incredibly kind. He was, you know, the kind of person that exhibited Christ through their life. Had a good sense of humor. I don't know. You know but there are eulogy virtues. And, and David Brooks wrote about that, and he said, when, you, when it, your life is over with, you want to have lived in such a way that those things will be obviously true to everybody that hears your eulogy. This is how this person lived. This was the essence of who they were. And, of course, when we think about that, we say the kingdom, you know, of God is integral in that. So what, what's at issue here is not a person's destiny, as we say, if their foundation is Jesus. We're not talking about your destiny. We're talking about your life. We're talking about your life now. And we're talking about whether or not Jesus is showing up in a real way in your worshiping, witnessing life now, today. And, and how it's going to look when you stand before Christ and there is a trial that feels like an intense and searching fire. What's going to be, what's going to stand? What's going to be evident? What's going to disappear? You know, because it, it was uh, not done in sincerity as that aspect of our testimony. The, the reality when we look at Scripture is that the Bible says that Jesus, for us who know him, it, it, uh, we weren't redeemed by perishable things, but by the precious blood of Jesus the spotless Lamb of God. He, that's our redemption is what Christ did for us. But, and, and we don't do works to be saved, but because that's the price that was paid for us, this redemption. And I, I like how John Piper put it. He says, we don't have a debtor's ethic either. I'm not trying to say, oh, if I do all these things, I'll repay what Jesus did. What he did is so incredible. Who he is is so incredible, I can't repay that. It's his goodness to me. But I want to live a a Christ-honoring life. It's a helpful thing to know that you have not been called to live a life of drudgery. 
If we think about life the way that I think this passage intends, we'll experience everything as sort of an adventure, you know, because we're, it's something that has so much meaning. All of my life, all of my commitments have so much meaning. All the things that, for me, when I wake up, it may seem menial. It may seem boring even sometimes. But if I bring God's heart and his, you know, the idea that I'm glorifying God into it, then it becomes uh, an adventure. On the day of Christ's judgment seat, when we're intensely, you know, examined, an essential aspect of, this is an essential aspect of what it means to be a man or woman of faith, is that uh, faith means that I sign eternal meaning to this temporary life and reality that's what faith is it's seeing forward to to this encounter with God but experiencing his promises now and living toward those promises in the future but faith causes adjustment when when it's properly understood in our life it causes alignment in our life obedience in our in our life so that we're always considering is this wood hay straw stubble is this silver, gold, precious stones, th- these decisions, these commitments, interactions? And so it answers the question, ultimately, will the underlying reality of the works in my life withstand a test of fire? That's the question. I want to pray for us, and we're going to have a time of commitment as we sing a song uh, today. We invite you to stand with us in a moment. And if there's a um, commitment that you need, maybe you want to come and have me pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, Today maybe is the day that you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because we we want to know Him now. And we don't want to stand before Him at uh, the great white throne judgment and say, hey, I opened the book, sorry, but your name is not here. That's how the Bible describes it, is that we're either in a relationship with Christ that's transformational and real, or we're we're not. But he invites us into that, and that's what life means. And so I'll be happy to help you with that decision, either uh, during this invitation time or at the conclusion of our service. But um, we're going to invite you now, if you would, please stand, and we'll uh, sing. And if if you need to make a decision, we encourage you to, to do so.